ora and welcome to RNZ's Insight Programme. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, cannabis, patience and access. Demand for medical cannabis use is growing, but much of the research that might get robustly tested and affordable products into people's bathroom cabinets is still underway and will take some time. So what are patients, their carers, health officials and the police doing in the meantime? With the tide appearing to be turning on the image of medical cannabis, sick and dying people of all ages and backgrounds are starting to demand better access to it. This is a balm that I've been making. I made a batch of 18 jars and they all left the house in two days. A Nelson mother, Rose Renton, has become one of the most recognisable faces of the medical cannabis debate in New Zealand. Her 19-year-old son, Alex Renton, died in Wellington Hospital in 2015 after suffering from status epilepticus, an acute and prolonged epileptic seizure. Mrs Renton fought to have him given the cannabis-based product Elixinol. A report from the hospital doctors treating her son said it wasn't effective. She disagrees and says it gave her son relief but was given to him far too late. Today, Rose Renton is part of a nationwide network of people known as Green Fairies who provide homemade cannabis products free or for a donation. The roots of the cannabis plant are donated to me. So literally they arrive in a post box and as you can see, it's... When it's heated, it becomes quite liquid. Its base is In her kitchen at home, she bakes brownies and mixes up tinctures and balms for the sick and dying. And I use other natural herbs. She's presented an 18,000 signature written petition to Parliament asking for a law change to allow safe, quality and affordable cannabis for medicinal use. But she says being the focus of the campaign and helping others has left her tired and overstretched, and change has to happen soon. The Associate Health Minister, Peter Dunn, says the wheels are turning slowly because, as yet, there's not enough strong evidence to back the health claims being made about marijuana. This is something where there are a series of sort of evolutionary steps taking place. It's not radical revolution, but it's change that's occurring which is based on the evidence uh, and which is based on the soundest of practice. I'm Teresa Cowie and this insight looks at how those who want to use medical cannabis are coping in the space between approved use and a legal drug habit. Shane Lebrun comes from Nelson and is the founder of the lobby group Medicinal Cannabis Awareness. His wife Kat wants to use the drug to help with pain and Shane Lebrun says he's only a recent convert to the idea that dope can bring hope. I'm a former soldier and she was a regular churchgoer until the injury got in the way. Um, So we come from a more conservative background, which is why we've decided to go down the route of starting a charity. He represents the changing face of those wanting cannabis liberalisation based on medical grounds. Pro-liberalisation lobbyists advise those campaigning for change to go out and buy a suit first, and he already fits the bill. A national voter who considers himself a conservative thinker, Shane Lebrun has always been dead against cannabis. He still is, especially when it comes to recreational use, but desperate to give his wife Kat a better quality of life, he's partly changed his mind about marijuana. Um, So um, my wife slipped on ice Uh, three months after we got married and she herniated the two discs in her lower back so she developed the classic chronic pain and and nerve pain sciatica type things going down her legs and her body is in a permanent state of chronic pain now. 
And after seven years of all of this, we knocked on a neighbour's door one night when she was having a rough night and asked for some, got given some cannabis, and she had a few puffs, and it's the best pain relief she'd had and the best sleep she'd had in years. It's not for everyone, and it doesn't work for broken bones and, you know, your upfront acute pain, but for people who are in permanent pain for a long amount of time, it is a much safer and much more tolerable product than the morphine class of drugs. Currently, there are some cannabis-based products that have been approved for use in New Zealand, with a sign-off from the Ministry of Health. But they're expensive and hard to get hold of, and Mr Lebrun wants the Ministry to lower the bar to allow cheaper, standardised raw cannabis products that can be easily brought into the country or grown here. He's livid that as it stands, his wife and many others are living their lives in an illegal limbo that prevents them from using a product they believe works. Welcome to you all. Thank you for the opportunity um, for speaking this morning. Uh, it's been when campaigner Rose Renton addressed the Health Select Committee at Parliament on the issue a few weeks ago, this medicinal cannabis user, who we won't name, was at the back of the public gallery listening carefully to every word. Uh, I'm very nervous, so it calms me down. Um, within about half an hour of usage. I also actually do um, balms, uh, cannabis balms on my wrists and whatever else, on anywhere really. Um. She suffers from the autoimmune disease lupus and complications from a stroke. With sore, twisted and swollen hands, she positions her electric wheelchair in the lobby outside the hearing, where she tells me she feels the stronger opiate-based pain medicines she's been prescribed are wearing down her already fragile body. I just can't do it anymore. Um, it's too, too much on my body. So I'm actually not on medication, uh, uh, pharma medication anymore because it's too hard. Where do you get your products from? Um, the Green Fairies. How did you get hold of a Green Fairy? How did you find that person? Um, I actually went on um, Facebook. While she mainly relies on the so-called Green Fairies care packages to keep her supply steady, she admits sometimes it has to come from the darker side of the supply chain. My carers actually go for me, right? So, And then I'm worried that they're going to get snapped because of the police. To a tinny house, you mean? Yeah. I'm always worried that when she's going to come back, is she going to come back? Is she in a cell right now? It's not good. Currently, it's up to the discretion of an individual officer to decide whether a person is genuinely using marijuana for medical reasons and whether to charge them. The police commissioner declined to be interviewed by Insight about this use of discretion, but in a written response, the police national headquarters said discretion is always available, but is dependent on the time, place and particular circumstances of any cannabis use. Many medicinal cannabis campaigners are very public they're taking or making cannabis-based products at home. The late Helen Kelly was very upfront about her use in this interview with John Campbell. And then the, the most amazing thing, can I show you? Yeah, go on. Is this, um, this tincture, which is a um, cannabis coconut cream and cannabis mixture. And it's basically, you, you rub it on yourself. And, I mean, I, you know, all these hippies kept sending it to me, mate. And I kept thinking, yeah, right, you know, it really gets in, you know, Mrs Marsh. But it does. It bloody does. It's amazing. 
and Nelson-based campaigner Rose Renton is open about the fact she mixes up cannabis medicine in her kitchen. They're all organically grown at home, so I grow the flowers and I infuse them with the gifted cannabis roots. Um, once it's done two or three days of a very gentle heat cycle, um, I pull it strain it through a muslin cloth. But there appears to be a consistency issue with police discretion. High-profile campaigners don't seem to be feeling the force of the law, while others face charges despite being seriously ill. The police don't keep records of when someone is let off for medical use. Police National Headquarters says if a case reaches court, any justification for use is presented there. But campaigner Shane Lebrun says while police discretion may sound fair, it's not working out that way. Up north there was a quadriplegic who was raided in the weekend. Apparently they'd been tipped off that he was some sort of large cannabis dealer. I don't think a paralysed person would make a good dealer because you just take their stuff and not pay for it. And, you know, and, and they've raided a quadriplegic. That makes the police look like chumps. They let Helen Kelly get away with so much. She was cooking Class B drugs on TV, which has actually got a pretty serious you know, maximum penalty. And yet they'll go after people cultivating for personal medical use. And they have no concept of how much is personal and how much is for dealing. They fail to perform the public interest test on occasions. They have been putting terminal people through the courts. There's been MS patients prosecuted recently and there's been no formal promulgation of any directive from the police commissioner or from the hierarchy. They're all using their own prejudices and opinions on the issue. Yeah, it's, it's really a luck of the draw. And it, it ties into other issues, like the luck of the draw also uh, applies to the courts as well. So there's been a few people discharged without conviction, but they're all white women. Um, If you're brown, you go down. He says police discretion is too focused on the force's public image and not what's fair for individual citizens. Ross Bell from the pro-drug liberalisation lobby group, the Drug Foundation, says the police need a more coordinated approach. I think one way that this could be improved is if police national headquarters sent some guidelines out to police districts around, you know, when you're choosing to prosecute or not, here are some of the things that you can look for. Uh, And I think that that would go some way to addressing what the Law Commission recommended, which is until we've got the perfect medical cannabis regime in place, let's have the police have a policy of non-prosecution. There are currently no specific national guidelines for police officers about how they should handle situations where an offender claims they're taking cannabis as a medicine. But the Associate Health Minister, Peter Dunn, believes the current system, while imperfect, is adequate, although he acknowledges national guidelines could be worth looking at. That's something that could be considered. I've heard anecdote, I haven't heard substantive evidence that this is a huge problem, but I think some form of guideline is possible. The difficulty then is how formal the guideline is when effectively what we're doing is saying we're just not, you know, we're just not really following up these issues. So, but I think that this is an evolving discussion. Following its inquiry into the Misuse of Drugs Act in 2011, The Law Commission recommended that a compassionate use scheme should be set up so that people suffering from a chronic or debilitating illness could be authorised to use raw cannabis under medical supervision and without legal consequences. In Australia, the New South Wales government has established a medicinal cannabis compassionate use scheme where patients who have been certified by a doctor as terminally ill can register to be given protection against being arrested. The chief scientist of New South Wales, Mary O'Kane, is undertaking a review of the scheme 
and says in the two and a half years it's been up and running, 300 people have registered. Things that give relief when people are dying, I think very few would refuse to um, agree with appropriate schemes that do no harm to anybody else. So that was the idea behind the scheme and it's um, it's had a modest number of people on it but um, you know, for some people it's really, really important. There's always the problem with it that it doesn't guarantee supply or show a legal route through to supply. And so it's, a, it's not the answer to everything, but it's been a very useful avenue to be able to help people who are in, you know, have a terminal illness or in considerable pain. Professor O'Kane says the scheme provides clear guidelines for New South Wales police officers to help them determine the correct circumstances in which to use their discretion. They do education within the police force as to um, appropriate ways to administer the scheme. They in turn advise us about amounts and things when I was looking at the review. Professor O'Kane says the state is determined that any further liberalisation of cannabis use will follow a medical model where patients can get access to high-level, properly tested products. But she says in the meantime, it felt those who are in need should be shown compassion. Ross Bell from the New Zealand Drug Foundation believes that asking people to register their illegal activity won't work. We've heard from people that they don't want to be on that list because is this some sneaky way for the cops to prosecute me? So the list is good in theory, but is it working in practice? And I, I'm not, I'm, you know, I think school's out on that. Uh, and I think people do need to be careful because we do see cases where the police don't turn a blind eye to medical cannabis patients. You know, we've had Minister Dunn be very clear that he doesn't expect cops will go after people, which is great, but he has no authority to tell to direct police to not do this. And we know that police in different districts, some are compassionate and others aren't. Under the New South Wales scheme, patients are not allowed to grow their own plants and usually have to rely on illegal sources for supply. Ross Bell says sending patients and their carers off into the criminal world for their supply is far from ideal. Well, this is the biggest weakness of, a, of, of that compassionate scheme. Uh, it still means that people have to source their supply of drugs from the criminal black market. So the scheme says we're not going to prosecute you, but they still need to go to the black market to find their supply. That compassionate scheme is simply a stopgap measure. And I think we've got a whole lot of things happening in parallel in Australia and in New Zealand where, bottom line for me is, how can we get medical cannabis products to people who need it and who will benefit? What's the fastest way to do that? Well, sadly, the fastest way right now is for people to uh, get their specialists on side, to put in that application to the Ministry of Health, to find a product from overseas that can be imported at great expense. That's the best we've got. The group representing the pharmaceuticals industry, Medicines New Zealand, says about 90 research trials are underway internationally to test the efficacy of cannabis compounds for a variety of illnesses and symptoms. In Australia, the New South Wales government has its own centre for medicinal cannabis research and innovation. Its researchers are currently exploring how cannabis might give relief to children with severe drug-resistant epilepsy and to adults with loss of appetite and nausea because of chemotherapy.
And in New Zealand, a cannabis-based skin balm is being trialled at hospitals in Auckland, Wellington, Hamilton and Christchurch as part of an international study into what effect it might have on epileptic seizures. Last year, an independent poll commissioned by the Drug Foundation found overwhelming support for loosening up the law in New Zealand. 82% of respondents to the survey thought it should be legal or a fine only for patients with terminal illnesses who were taking it, and 79% believed it should be legal or decriminalised for people who were not dying but needed ongoing pain relief. With pressure being heaped on the government to show compassion for sick and dying New Zealanders, the Associate Health Minister Peter Dunn announced he would make it easier for patients to access legal, high-grade cannabis-based products via their doctors. In February, he published a list of cannabis-based products that would not need a minister to sign them off. Instead, he handed this responsibility to the Ministry of Health. Use the dispenser within six weeks of the time you got it from the pharmacy. Preparing for first use. You only need to prepare a new dispenser one time before using it to ensure you get a full The peppermint-flavoured mouth spray Sativex is the only pharmaceutical-grade product available in New Zealand. It's extracted from the plant Cannabis Sativa. It's grown in a laboratory setting to produce a consistent amount of the active ingredients, tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, the psychoactive part, and cannabidiol, a non-psychoactive compound. It's most effective in helping with muscle stiffness and spasm in patients with multiple sclerosis, but there is some evidence it can help with pain relief. Push the pump firmly up a second time. The dosing chamber will continue to fill. Sativex is not currently paid for by the country's drug funding agency Pharmac, and it's estimated to cost users about $1,000 a month. The Ministry of Health couldn't provide information about how many people have accessed authorised cannabis-based products since the changes in February, but it says in total 195 people have applied for Sativex, with 181 applications being approved. Tori Catherwood's mother Dawn, who has terminal cancer, is one of those who applied. She's now using Sativex as a pain relief medication. She had been using illegal cannabis to control her pain, but had to give it up because she was worried about the consequences for her family. As soon as someone comes to the door, you know, she, um, she's already under a lot of stress from um, being sick and the drugs do make her slightly more anxious than normal. And so, you know, we get a knock on the door and if we don't know who it is, it, it does stress her out a lot. And it's stress that could be easily avoided if these patients were allowed to access it legally. Mm-hmm. And your dad's a lawyer, so is it a worry for him to have illegal activity in, in his home? It, he didn't know, and it was something that she did without anybody else's knowledge because she was ill. And it, that, to me, I think... Yeah. So she had to keep it secret from your dad? Yeah, effectively, because he's a lawyer. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's absurd. Um, you know, he was against it, and he still is against it because it's illegal. If it was made legal, he would be all for it because it's legal. Tori Cathwood says her mother Dawn applied for the drug after the responsibility for signing it off was handed to the ministry. But despite changes that were meant to make it easier, it was a difficult process for her father to get the drug approval. 
So it was the 6th of March when he first applied, the 13th of March when they actually started to do something because they had been sitting on it for a week, and then it was the 20th, which was a week later, that they received the prescription at the specialist and then handed it in to the pharmacist, and then it was that Friday that we received the actual side effects. Logistically, there are quite a lot of obstacles to trying to get hold of this quickly. Absolutely, there are numerous obstacles in acquiring side effects. The form-filling process is just a small part. The specialist has to be okay with it, and then once the prescription has actually been submitted, the pharmacy then has to be in contact with the the patient or the doctor which then goes back to the patient and then back to the doctor so it's it's a big rigmarole. And given that your mum is terminally ill and you don't at this stage know how much longer she's got how significant is a three-week wait? For somebody who doesn't know how long they've got left to live um, three weeks is an eternity and given that she could have passed away in that time and that she didn't have access to that sufficient pain relief it's, it's excruciating. The Ministry of Health wouldn't speak to Insight in detail about the delays to Mrs Catherwood's application, but in an email it confirmed it had taken eight working days to process and approve it. The Associate Health Minister Peter Dunn says that's concerning. Frankly, uh, if, if someone is eligible for Sativex, and that's a decision that their doctor and specialist would make, and, and it's prescribed then there shouldn't be that length of time. I accept there could be a problem in the supply chain, but there shouldn't be a problem in terms of getting those approvals through, and I'm concerned if that's becoming a regular pattern because it's certainly not, I don't think, appropriate. Sue Gray, the Nelson lawyer who represents Rose Renton, told the Health Select Committee this month that handing responsibility to the Ministry hasn't helped patients. Well, he, he hasn't really changed anything from the perspective of the patient or the doctors because they still have to apply to the Ministry of Health. All that's changed is he's delegated his decision-making to his ministry. But it's the same amount of paperwork and it's roughly the same products and it's still incredibly expensive to get any of those products. And because they're treated under the Misuse of Drugs Act, the security costs are amazingly expensive. So you can only access them in the main hospitals in New Zealand. There are so many barriers to access while it's treated as it is at the moment under the Misuse of Drugs Act. It makes no Mm. practical difference. At the same hearing, a health official said it was currently taking about a week for the Ministry to process applications. Last year it was taking 15 working days to process, so there does appear to be some decrease in processing time. Tori Catherwood, herself a final year medical student, says another barrier to patients getting cannabis-based medications is that doctors either don't want to consider Sativex or they don't have time to figure out how to prescribe it. For a lot of these specialists, they have a schedule that is extremely busy. Um, Often they have many patients booked in a day and they are trying to chase around their own day-to-day stuff for the best of their patients. Something like Sativex that has an application process as confusing as it currently is, a lot of these specialists haven't applied because it's so difficult. She wants better training and education for doctors around the prescribing processes. The Associate Health Minister Peter Dunn says the forms and information for doctors are readily available on the Ministry's website, but there is clearly more work to be done to help doctors understand. 
one of the criticisms I'd heard was we, from the medical profession, we don't know about these things. I'd have thought doctors would know about medicines, but leave that as it may. We don't know about these things. What are the sorts of products that are on offer? So we actually got together a list of what types of um, pharmaceutical and non-pharmaceutical grade product was available and have circulated that. But ultimately the judgment's got to be made by the GP and the specialist as to what's appropriate for their particular patient. The Chief Scientist of New South Wales, Mary O'Kane, says the education of doctors has been a key focus there. It's rarely been formally studied. There are, there are not a lot of formal studies of the effect of cannabis, very, very few clinical trials. And so doctors are wary of prescribing unless they have appropriate evidence. And so they hesitate and they tend to um, want to use other drugs first and that's generally considered the appropriate way to go to sort of exhaust other drug routes and then look at medicinal cannabis. So what we're trying to do is show them when it might be appropriate. It really works for all the people all the time. So to sort of say when it when would be a time to think about it and when would be a you know a time to um, hesitate to use it. The chair of the New Zealand Medical Association, Dr Stephen Child, says doctors shouldn't be pressured into prescribing medicines with poor evidence of their effectiveness just because patients ask for them. There is a large number of patients who are coming to their doctors and saying, Doctor, um, may I smoke marijuana um, in a joint because it helps my pain? Is that okay? And can you write a prescription for me for that? Or can you write a letter to the court? I've just been caught um, smoking marijuana. Will you please write a letter to the court saying that I'm doing it only because of my medical condition? And that puts doctors in a very, very difficult situation. I think there's a large amount of confusion from the medical profession about do they have any role about the smoking of marijuana for any indication Uh, and that's where the confusion lies. While there's a popular view that cannabis is a fairly harmless non-addictive drug, World Health Organization statistics indicate approximately 13.1 million people are cannabis dependent globally. Doctors here are holding the line on prescribing only cannabis-based pharmaceuticals that meet the highest standards and are given out for the relief of the right symptoms. Dr Stephen Child says doctors need to be sure even approved drugs like Sativex are the right ones to treat the patient's symptoms. The actual evidence to show great benefit from Sativex is actually quite slim. I mean, even the number one approved medication is spasticity related to multiple sclerosis. But even in that, the two largest trials, one trial showed no difference over placebo uh, and the other trial showed a marginal benefit over placebo. Is it harder for doctors to prescribe Sativex when it's not for multiple sclerosis? Yes, so there are three other what we call unapproved uh, indications which are accepted. They're they're unapproved but they're accepted if you know what I mean. But the problem with that is one of those indications is chronic pain Um, and of course that's a very subjective uh, diagnosis and then even in those patients of which they have neuropathic pain the benefit again is quite marginal. The Ministry of Health's Expert Advisory Committee on Drugs has given recommendations to the Associate Health Minister, Peter Dunn, on whether cannabis should be given a similar legal status to opiates and cocaine, where it can be used for specific medical applications. Mr Dunn expects to make an announcement about that in the coming weeks.
In the meantime, a combination of black market drug dealers, green fairies and big drug companies will provide the sick and dying with an option being demanded by growing numbers. I'm Teresa Cowie, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts on this programme, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at InsightRNZ. Teresa Cowie wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Dan Bevan. Why not podcast other Insight programmes? Head to iTunes or your Android provider and you can subscribe, rate and you can even give us a review. Or visit the Insight webpage at radionz.co.nz. Great to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Thank you.